1510 WMEX Quincy Boston and 101.1 FM W266DQ Quincy WMEX Quincy Boston streaming at WMEXBoston.com and on your smart speaker just say play WMEX The greatest hits of all time are back this is the all new WMEX WMEX Boston They singing all night, drinking wine, spooty oody, drinking wine. Wine, spooty oody, drinking wine. That's right, it's time for Wine by Design with Len on 1510 WMEX. Len is a certified wine educator with over 30 years in the wine industry and is the newest WMEX good guy. Taking your calls and questions at 781-834-9639. Here's your host... Len Prasuti. Well, thank you, Ben, and welcome everyone to the first show of the new year. You know, if you're anything like me, there's no way around it. Everybody does make some New Year's resolutions. Not everyone keeps them, but we all start out with the best of intentions here. And what I wanted to talk about today was how wine, moderate wine consumption, can be a really big part of a healthy lifestyle, because that's where my mind starts to go when I'm looking at my New Year's resolutions and all of that. I'm trying to, you know, do other things better, but I want to get a little healthier and maybe drop a few pounds. Believe it or not, wine can help you do that too. A lot of different things that we're going to get to in just a minute. But first of all, I did want to go to a listener question. We have a really special one today in that It's from someone that everybody knows, Jimmy J from Weymouth. And he asked, I just received a bottle of a wine called Silk and Spice, a 2021 red blend from Portugal. What can you tell me about it? What a great question. Uh, It is a red blend. And it really kind of came home to me that I hadn't had one in a long time. So just to back up a little bit, red blends have been around for some time. I think the very first one was done by Menage a Trois in the late 90s. and But the big time was hit with a wine called Apothic that started around 2010. And what it is, is as the name probably (laughs) implies, it's a blend of different grapes. But one of the things that makes it really different is they set out from the beginning to make it slightly off dry. Now, in the case of Apothic, this was a a definite uh, marketing decision there. And to be honest with you, I think it was a great one. The threshold of perception of sweetness is about a percent of residual sugar. So what they did is they settled in to about a percent and a half of residual sugar. So it's to the point where no one thinks the wine's bone dry. But on the other hand, it doesn't really taste sweet either. And that is something that is wonderful in that it makes a great red wine for beginners, perhaps that haven't drunk a lot of red wine and They've tasted red wine in the past and say, ah, my God, that's bitter. How can anybody drink that? 
Well, it's kind of a way to 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 get into the category, and it's very easy to drink. It's a lot of fun, but it doesn't have any that abrasive roughness that you would associate with um, some of the bone dry wines, especially the ones that are high in acid. Get a little can can do a little bit of a job on the palate if you're not used to them, and a lot of it has to do with the food matches. But one of the things I wanted to mention because I started to think about where I started when I was tasting wine. And you know something? Everybody starts with sweet wine. Every person I know, because sweet tastes good. If you give a baby something sweet, they smile. If you give them something bitter, they frown. So I think the dry wines are a bit of a a learned thing. But anyway, I remember I started with Rianiti Lambrusco, which is what a lot of people started on way back in the day. And I thought I was a big deal when I found there was another Lambrusco besides Rianiti that was a step up and wasn't quite as uh, as as sweet as it was that had a little bit better of a, an acid balance there. But just wanted to mention, you know, it's okay to like sweet wines and to come from sweetness little bit of an inside uh, info here. There are th- people that are called super tasters. And by that, I mean, they just taste better than the rest of the population naturally because they have more sensors on their tongue. And they can, everyone can learn to be a better taster, but these people right from the beginning have a major advantage. I've talked to a number of them that have been tested Without question, none of them really like dry wine. When they're drinking wine on their own, they can assess the dry wines and tell you what's good and what's bad, but they're all going to the sweet for that reason. But as I mentioned, it uh, has kind of turned into a great wine for beginners, but I have to admit, I haven't had one in years. So I went to the store and picked up three of uh, perhaps the most popular versions out there and brought them home, did a a classic kind of wine tasting. I enlisted the services of my wife, who is a a chef and a great taster. So uh, I I had her input here as well. Now, we went through classic wine tasting, everything I talked about in the past, you know, you look at it, you smell it, you taste it, really try to dig through everything was there. The one thing I did want to mention that they all had in common right from the beginning is that they were all pretty much a medium alcohol, 13.5%, um, and all of them, I went back and checked tech sheets and that on the wines, we're right about at that 1.5% residual sugar, within a tenth of a percent. And the other thing that I noticed that they all had in common is that they all improved fairly dramatically with about an hour's air. We've talked about that before. Now, you don't need to give these wines the hour's air. They do taste substantially better, but you can drink them right as soon as you pop the cork. But they were all much more enjoyable with a slight chill to them. We're talking, you know, maybe 56, 57, maybe 58 degrees. 
And that made a big difference when that slight sweetness came in. It it actually emphasized the fruit and allowed the wines to show better. So the three wines that I included were that Apothic Red, which was the one that really was the first big hit. These wines, by the way, are enormously popular. They are second only to Cabernet Sauvignon in popularity in the red wine category in the United States. And Apothic can make 3 million or more cases a year, but they were the ones that kind of started it all. Um, it's it's from a Gallo corporation. The other two were the Menage a Trois. Menage a Trois is a, a great winery. It's always been a favorite of mine going way back. That's the one that first started the category back in the late 90s. It's It was started by two married psychiatrists. And uh, it just amazing in that they wanted to have a lot of fun with wine. They thought that wine was getting a little bit too serious and a little bit too stuffy. And the menage a trois comes from, in the beginning, all the wines were a blend of three grapes. Uh, one of the neat things about it, there being psychiatrists, the label, which they call twin dancers, is one of those Rorschach tests uh, that you give to someone to determine their sanity. They have a great sense of humor about them. But they are now handled by the Chincaro family estate. So they have really good uh, distribution. And the third wine is the one I mentioned that uh, Jimmy started this whole thing uh, talking about. A wine called Silk and Spice. It's from Portugal. And one of the interesting things about that wine, you know, it, it fits all the criteria, slightly off dry and all that moderate alcohol, but they're using primarily, but not exclusively, Portuguese native grapes. The primary grape in there is Torriga Nacional, which um, is a grape that they make port from. And they make these dry Douro reds that have become very, very fashionable lately. Some of them are quite expensive and of great, great quality. But they're blending in some Syrah and some other things there. Just a quick overview of, um, of our impressions on them, uh, going in that order. The Apothic, and they're all the 2021 vintage, was nice. It was bright it was kind of spicy, but it had some dark flavors to it that uh, both my wife, Andrea, and I agreed seemed to come from somehow the flavor of more kind of cooked berries, like blueberries and plums. There was a lot of spice there, but it was almost a little bit dull, and it, it had a, a, an interesting kind of thicker viscosity to it. So that's where that one's uh, starting from. And it's a blend of Zinfandel, Merlot, Syrah, and Cabernet. And a little bit of some other things there, though. But a good example of what the category is all about. But the second wine I'm going to talk about from Menage a Trois, their silk, was incredible and really opened my mind to how good some of these things can be. Now, this one's primarily Pinot Noir, just about 70% of that. And they're blending in a little bit of Malbec and Petit Syrah in that. 
But my God, what a beautifully bright, fresh nose. It had those notes of raspberry and cherry in it that I associate with the Pinot Noir grape. But it had, uh, along with that, which also the Pinot Noir, a spiciness. Uh, my wife, Andre got a niece. I was getting that, maybe a little touch of cinnamon bark and a couple other things. But there seemed to be another added dimension underneath with kind of a touch of plum and a richer fruit. But they all melded so well together. Uh, I really thought that the name was perfect because it tastes kind of sort of like Pinot Noir. It has a lot of Pinot Noir attributes, but it's incredibly silky, just unbelievably smooth. The great texture of that. It's unusual to get a wine that's texturally that smooth, that has that nice acidity that uh, even though it was, you know, a, a touch off dry there, it was quite complex and it gave it a really clean, fresh finish. The last one is the Silk in Spice, uh, which was kind of a darker and spicier uh, wine than the Menage a Trois, but not as bright. Not as much acidity there. Um, it there was some kind of black currant fruit going on, little touch of tannin, but again, with just a little bit of air, that kind of went away. Really kind of supple and easy to drink. And that one as well was really pretty impressive. So we tried these wines on their own, and the impressions were pretty much what I just described to you. I have to admit, if I had to pour them in order, the Menage a Trois Silk is like, whoa, this is pretty cool. We had it with nachos in a, a cheese sauce with, you know, how you make the cheese sauce with a little bit of uh, salsa in it. And my God, it cut through that cheese sauce absolutely perfectly. The Silk and Spice, on the other hand, at the same meal, we had this Thai chicken dish with a Thai uh, peanut sauce that's quite spicy. It's one of those dishes that we make a lot because we we have fun with it. You know, it's kind of shredded chicken. It's very easy to eat with the, the nacho chips and everything. But we've had a hard time coming up with like the match for it. Wow, though, when we tried the silk and spice with it, it just exploded. It's the best match by far we've ever had with it. I mean, to the point where I almost can't imagine a, a better match than that. Um, we're so impressed with, especially the menage a trois and the silk, that we're doing a dish tonight, believe it or not, with fried raviolis that we then put a this interesting kind of blue cheese creamy sauce over. And I have high hopes for it. I think with the blue cheese, those two wines, the Menage a Trois Silk and the Silk and Spice are going to go perfectly. Again, the Apothic, great, but it just didn't seem to sing with the food like the others did. Um, in terms of price, the Apothic's roughly around $15, and the other two are kind of between that $10 and $12 range. You know, really very, very accessible. But now I wanted to change gears just a little bit after that. A little bit of a lead-in is they are great starter wines, as I mentioned. But now I wanted to talk about wine and health a bit. Now, I have to start with a disclaimer. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on the radio. 
please talk to your doctor before starting to drink wine if you haven't drunk wine before. There could be some adverse reactions to the medicine you're taking. You don't know. Please seek your physician's advice. But I've done a ton of research on this topic and participated in panel discussions representing wine drinkers with doctors that, to put it mildly, didn't agree with my position. In many cases, quite frankly, they were openly hostile, but I'll get to that a little bit later with one example in particular. Now, what we were talking about right from the beginning is moderate wine consumption. By moderate, we're talking five ounce glasses as a serving. Typically, the FDA will say, you know, if you're a woman, that's one glass per day. If you're a man, that's two glasses per day. We do metabolize a little differently. But in all cases, the health effects were shown to be the most dramatic between two and three servings per day. Now, here's where it does get a little tricky. This is a J-shaped curve that we're talking about here. Uh, the big thing we're going to discuss in the beginning is cardiovascular disease, because that's where the effect is most dramatic. And by the J-shaped curve, I mean, we're using the as a baseline the non-drinker. So there's a major increase in health benefits in that two to three drink range. When you start to hit around four going on to five, it's pretty close to the same as if you don't drink. But after that, if you're drinking more heavily, it shoots up and goes up really dramatically. One of the other things I did want to mention is by far the healthiest way to consume wine is with meals. It does things with the meals that it doesn't when you drink them on their own. For instance, it helps regulate the release of insulin in your body. So you don't go through these peaks and valleys and high and low blood sugar and all that. Uh, the, the wine helps with that as you're drinking it with the meal. Now, most of these things are red wines. Some, some are white, but the vast majority of red. And one of the fascinating things for me, I always try to look at things objectively, and I'm saying, you know, wine has a lot of acidity to it. Is there any possibility of it causing an ulcer? Turns out nothing could be farther from the truth. It actually kills ulcer-causing bacteria. It seems to have the right blend of acidity with all these other trace elements and a lot of other beneficial things going on there. But just a word about where this whole thing with wine and health started. It goes back to a 1991 60-minute uh, show that Maury Safer did on what's referred to as the French Paradox. Now, the French paradox is the fact that the French, as a country, eat a ton of fatty food. I mean, we're talking butter, foie gras, cheese, all of that. But they have a lower incidence of heart disease than just about any other country that consumes even remotely that much fat. Now, it's been attributed to wine consumption. And that's the thing that kind of kicked off the studies. It's a good thing that article came out when it did, because right before that, the neo-prohibitionists were doing their best to outlaw wine. This whole thing about sulfites in wine, 
there's more sulfur in a ton of other items out there. They use it in preserving fish. There's a lot of it in baked goods. Are you kidding me? In dried fruits, it's off the charts. But they didn't make any of them label it, but they did wine when, in fact, it wasn't really necessary. So it did come at a very good time for the industry and in that we were looking for some positive news out there. But it also came out at roughly the same time as the aspirin study, where they said that small amounts of aspirin could lower your incidence of a potential heart attack. But wine did it substantially more effectively. We're talking 20% or more, more effective than the aspirin, the moderate wine drinking, a couple glasses of red, but it had less side effects than the aspirin. The aspirin did minutely, but it did increase your rinse, uh, risk of stroke, but that did not happen with the wine. And they've done tons of studies on this now. Red wine consumption does help prevent heart attacks and even second heart attacks if you've had one. Um, the mechanism that's at play here is it kind of greases the platelets so that the cholesterol doesn't build up the plaque formation and it keeps your arteries clean. It can actually slow hardening of the arteries if that's starting to uh, happen there. But it's so, so healthy for your heart that very soon after the article, a lot of people started doing some research and found out, yeah, this is true. They repeated the research. Oh, my God. In like, I think it was 30 different countries with exactly the same results there. So it got to the point where doctors were even saying, you know, you might want to have a glass of uh of wine with your meal here. And uh, that might be a, a healthy thing to do to help keep your arteries clean. If it were just that, it would be worth it. But that's kind of the just the beginning. My God, it helps so many different, in so many different areas of your health. One of the things that really caught my eye, because I'm starting to get a little bit older too, is it helps prevent the onset of Alzheimer's and dementia by 65 and 85% respectively. That's huge. That's a big percentage. The other thing is you don't have to take a pill. You know, you just have to, have to drink a glass or two of wine a night, again, hopefully with your meal. It helps prevent macular degeneration in the elderly. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you're Arteries are clear, so the oxygen gets to where it needs to be and makes your whole body, in a sense, healthier. It, studies have indicated that it helps your memory. They think that, again, it helps in a different way there. It prevents a bit of oxidative stress on the brain cells, not to get technical about it, but it does help people to, to stay sharp and alert as they're aging. It can actually help prevent a number of different kinds of cancers. They found that smokers that drink red wine are 60% less likely to develop lung cancer than those that don't. Um, if you're obese, I've been a, a little overweight almost all my life, a little bit better now, but it really does help keep your heart healthy, even if you're obese. 
Uh, it can slow the progress of arthritis. It can reduce the risk of developing type 2 diabetes. I think that has a lot to do with the way it regulates the release, uh, the release of insulin and all that there. And then one of the other really big things is it reduces stress. Um, stress is a killer. That's one of the things that contributes to heart attacks. And again, just that glass or two at the dinner table with you know, people that you love and it, it just the whole thing. We always eat a lot, lot slower when we have a glass of wine with a meal. We're always talking and going back and forth with different things. So it, it just promotes a healthier lifestyle. Um, and the one other thing I didn't mention that I was really surprised at, it increases bone mass from what they're saying with these studies in elderly women and it helps prevent osteoporosis. Now, I have to admit, I don't know why it does that, but the studies are there and I have read um, a, a lot of them. The one thing that there has been some misinformation out there about was how it affects the possibility of a woman getting breast cancer. There was originally a study done. It's called the Framingham study. It was a large range study where they felt that that might be a possibility. But everyone I know that's looked at that study said it was flawed scientifically and that it, it, it wasn't the, the way they, they set it up. It wasn't uh, following kind of the scientific model there. So it really kind of came home to me. And I found out later that as long as you're sure that you have enough B vitamins, it actually reduces the risk of breast cancer. That really came home to me when I was at uh, on one of these panels representing wine as food, and it was at a major university. It wasn't Harvard. I've done things at Harvard, but it was a, a, another one that's just not coming to me right now. And I got into a bit of a kerfuffle with a doctor there that thought I was totally irresponsible in talking about how moderate wine consumption could be healthy. He felt that the public couldn't handle the information and was became very, very argumentative with me. Um, my God, his wife, I thought she was going to attack me after the talk. She was so upset about my proposing that moderate wine uh, consumption could be healthy. But I had all my ducks in a row. I had all the studies. I talked about, you know, where and when they took place in the methodology and all that. But even he, who was doing research on women's hormones and in how that can help them uh, lead healthier lives, he said, and I, you could have blown me over when he said this, well, the one thing I do have to admit is that moderate wine drinking does reduce the risk of breast cancer in women. And I'm thinking, my God, this guy's done so much research specifically on the area of breast cancer and how different hormones and different uh, substances and all that affect it that, you know, I, that's when I said to myself, there really is something to it. It's got to reduce it. I actually came across one study, and I almost hesitate to mention this. I never thought I'd hear this one. But one study said 
that it was actually healthier to, healthier to drink a glass of wine than to exercise. Now, I wouldn't go that far, but it is really extremely healthy. I do both. And again, I, you know, would encourage you to at least explore the opportunity of, of maybe trying a glass of wine with, um, you know, with, with a meal. But again, just wanted to really, really stress, if you haven't drunk wine before, just consult your doctor, please, because I'm not a doctor. I'm not here to give you medical advice, but there is that possibility that there's going to be a bad interaction with one of the medicines you're taking, or there might be something with your particular situation that uh, might not mesh it as well. It might not work for you. So please do that. Now, if you do have um, an interest in this subject, I just did want to mention my favorite book on wine and health. It's by a, a gentleman called Dr. Richard Baxter. And I actually had a chance to spend a day with him. He came to uh, Boston to do a seminar. I was part of the wine, uh, Boston Wine Expo seminar committee, and we had him do a seminar. And I spent the day driving him around and, and seeing other people. He does this book called Age Gets Better with Wine. It's a new science for a healthier, better, and longer life. It's very easy to read. It's uh, a blast. He has a great sense of humor. Um, he uses historical quotations and stories and all that. I was just, I, I loved reading the book. Along with that, he did understandable explanations of the studies and, and, and what they mean and all of that good stuff. So I would really um, recommend that extremely highly. But it looks like we're um, nearing the end here, and this is about all the time I have uh, for tonight. I just want to mention that you've been listening to Wine by Design with Len on 1510. want to wish all of you a very, very happy, healthy, and prosperous New Year. Till next week, all the best in wine and life. <laughs>